Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast, where we dive into the heart of what makes the property market tick. I'm May Claire Bolton Smith, your host and curious observer of all things related to property, from affordable housing to market trends and the impacts of natural disasters to climate change. I want to converse about it all. The language of insurance is a complicated one, so is understanding the risk of weather hazards. Understandably, this can make it a challenge for the average person or even a company to determine whether the property investment is a sound decision. For example, if a hotel in Miami Beach expects an increase in flood issues due to a rise in sea level, is that increased flood risk material to the viability of the hotel's insurability? Although the answer to that question is difficult, it's one that's worth pursuing. Nearly 14.5 million single-family and multifamily homes, nearly 10% of all U.S. residential properties, were directly affected by natural disaster events in 2021. While weather disasters are not a new phenomenon, their severity and frequency are evolving as our climate changes. To better understand the consequences of this evolution and discuss what both insurers and consumers can expect in the coming years, we have someone really exciting here today. We have a good friend of mine, George Gallagher, who is Principal Account Executive for a list of things. Let's start this. Environmental, social government, climate change, natural hazards, spatial solutions. George, welcome to Core Conversations. Thanks, May Claire. If I could just throw a few more letters at you. Uh, one of the things I forgot to mention is... I am the co-educational chair for the MISMO, the Mortgage Industry Standards Maintenance Organization, MISMO, the co-education chair for MISMO's ESG Community of Practice. So it's MISMO ESG COP. Um, and really what that means is this is, a, this is a segment of the market that's gaining rapid attention. Um, so the Mortgage Bankers Association, the MBA, through, through MISMO, is taking this as a very serious issue and it's getting a lot of exposure to create both guardrails and guidelines for not only our industry but all the affected industries that a is a lot of letters george but that is super interesting and i think that really sets the stage about why we want to talk about this today and you and i are going to take a bit of a different perspective on weather hazards and understanding weather risk than we've not really talked about before on this podcast so um, how did you get to be involved in this hazard weather space? Um, how did I get into the weather and the climate change part of that? Uh, I think it's an interesting story, but let me start with a couple of definitions. You asked about environmental, social, and governance, ESG. Um, that is a framework around disclosing things such as climate change impacts, carbon emissions, mm. energy efficiency when it comes to environmental issues. From a social standpoint, things like customer satisfaction, data protection and privacy, gender and diversity, community relations. And then from a government stand, governance standpoint, board diversity, business ethics, lobbying, whistleblower programs, those all fit under the broad definitions of ESG or environmental, social and governance. Again, it's a way of giving investors more transparency into the companies that they invest upon. How did I get into this? Yeah. Uh, again, with CoreLogic, I've, I've been with CoreLogic since February of 2012 uh, and arrived at CoreLogic with an extensive background in commercial and corporate real estate, both platforms and, and data, as well as um, some experience in commercial development and uh, asset management. So the opportunity to really blend an intense understanding of the data, the platforms and that industry with things that were happening around the world on a regular basis, an increase in frequency and severity of, 
of climate-related issues really was a draw to me. So in the 10 years that I've been with CoreLogic, it's progressed towards uh, event response capabilities, catastrophe management um, uh, oriented projects, and now really a focus on enabling companies and individuals and investors uh, with information regarding climate change and its potential impacts. Okay, that was a really great introduction and and really the reason we want to talk with you today. And really, I love that because that's how you and I got to know each other so well is through the event response side of our business and what you and I have worked very closely on. So we're going to dive into that a little bit today. So we've talked time and time again on this podcast about how climate change is just has such widespread effects on the property market and from all different perspectives. Um, earlier this season in episode 32, we dove into how flood risk is changing. And then we talked about hazard insurance. So uh, if you haven't listened to those episodes, I do encourage everyone to go back and listen. But just in case our listeners haven't listened, can you talk a little bit about the types of weather risk that homeowners need to be aware of? Absolutely. And it's a great question because you now you're talking about scope, scale, and the security of information. Uh, mm. A person in Portland, Oregon, um, needs to have as much awareness and understanding of the environmental impacts to their properties, whether they are an insured, a borrower, a lender, or an insurer, as a person in Portland, Maine. Uh, it, identifying the, the, the localized perils and that the potential impact of those localized perils as a data provider is something that CoreLogic is really striving to achieve. So again, using an example of Portland, Oregon versus Portland, Maine, understanding what the perils that could exist and do exist in those areas, what impact they can have upon a, a borrower, uh, a policyholder, uh, or the, the, the company that's underwriting borrowers or, or policies is key to understanding the impacts of climate change. So broadly, what we're looking at is an understanding of awareness, disclosure, and the financial materiality of the natural environment, the environment's impact on an individual or a collection of properties. Okay. That is that is so great and so helpful. So I think if we dive into this a little bit more, um, we all know that forecasting changing weather patterns is not simple. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how data specifically can be segmented to offer different insights into natural hazard risk. Like I think people think, you know, oh, storm is coming. We'll talk about a hurricane. Let's talk about a tornado. Let's talk about hail. Like we can forecast that. We know it's happened. It's happened. We've looked at it. Like what you do is something very different than just let's look at what's about to happen. So can you talk a little bit about segmenting data into different parts of natural hazard risk? It's a great question. I appreciate your, your teeing that up. Yes. Um, it, a, it's interesting, right? It's trying to understand what the future impacts could be opens up a lot of horizons for us. But before we start talking about the future, let's talk about how we look at the future and how we build the building blocks or the, the ladder steps, if you will, to getting to what the future looks like. Um, and it deals with the concept of rationality. So yeah. what I want to get at is how well do you understand the current environment and then what the influences could be on the future environment. And let's really break that up a little bit. When we talk about it, I'd mentioned it before, scope, scale, and security. How much information do you have about an individual property? At CoreLogic, uh, we have property level detail based mm -hmm. on the footprint of an individual property. That's very unique in the fact that there's a lot of estimates of climate impact that start at the zip code level or the county level or the state level or even at the country level. Great information and awareness 
is is important. So if you're in a country or a state or a city that potentially has wildfire or uh, storm surge issues, that's important to know. But when we really start to make this information actionable is when we can tie it to the individual property at a very granular level. Okay. So in order to be rational in the future, you have to have a complete data set of information about the present. How big are the buildings? How many buildings are there? What, what type of use is that building? What does the reconstruction cost value of that building? What's the first floor height of that individual building? Those are the component elements that enable a rational decision process into the future. So we take that base level information, incorporate um, uh, catastrophe modeling. Catastrophe modeling is a proven financial vehicle that can talk about outcomes from simulated events. And then we educate those models uh, by exposing them to climate change data for the future. We use uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Science. Uh, it's a, an internationally recognized standard, the IPCC. Mm -hmm. And we incorporate different uh, representative concentration pathways. So there's kind of, if you think of things as current state, potential future state, worst case future state, those are the different pathways that are presented through that science. So having right. a very robust yep. and comprehensive set of models for all the perils, not just flood, not just wildfire, but things like severe convective storm, inland flooding versus storm surge flooding and having both of those. Severe winter storms, which are going to be, uh, are, could be considered elements of future climate change. Severe right. convective storms, your hail patterns, your tornadic and straight line winds, all of those are different models that need to be used to understand what the future state of the property is. Again, going back to my analogy of Portland, Oregon versus Portland, Maine, different geographies, different impacts from perils, but understanding consistently across the country, across every property, large or small, or groupings of properties, what the individual characteristics and the impacts of those properties are, gives us that rational view to what the future will look like trying to make a very difficult yeah. science sound simple. But if you think about it, the component parts are interesting and simple. If you don't have a lot of granular data, you're not going to be able to make rational opinions towards what the future impact could be. And that's really what we're trying to achieve. Right. Absolutely. And it is that that granular data that gives you that better estimate. So you talked a lot about how giving, so we, we're looking at these properties, we have all this individual data for each of them, whether it be the first floor height or the, the footprint of the building, the reconstruction cost of the building. Now, what do we do with all of that? Like, what can we do with all of that information? So what's the benefit of all of this? <laughs> so CoreLogic, like many data providers, we fit into an ecosystem of data. And just using FEMA as an example, the 2022 through 2026 business plan for FEMA has three important elements. One is instill equity as a foundation for emergency management. That's wonderful. The second one really fits in what we're talking about. Uh, lead the whole of community in climate resilience, increase climate literacy, build climate resilient nation and empower risk informed decision making. CoreLogic fits to really in, do those three with a specific emphasis on empowering informed decision making. So. On the heels of making that informed decision, CoreLogic has created what we consider to be and hope to become the FICO score equivalent, the Fair Isaac Company credit rating score equivalent for hazard data. And what I mean by that is in a FICO score, there are many contributing elements to what an individual person's 
score is. And you can increase or decrease your score by certain activities. Similarly, mitigation against a known hazard near your property could help lower the score, the risk profile of your particular property. As well as at a community level, if, if community safeguards and mitigations are brought into play, that can additionally bring down those scores. So uh, our composite risk score and other solutions empower that risk-informed decision-making that FEMA is focused upon. Okay, this is super interesting. So now I, I want to talk a little bit more about this composite risk score and really the idea of having a single risk score based on a number of different factors, a number of different data points. And how do we think that can be useful for, let's look at it from the perspective of banks, how can they help homeowners protect themselves? Like just, can you dive into a little bit more of kind of the the value and the use cases that could come from using data like this? So a composite risk score by its nature is intended to give a holistic view of risk at an individual property level. So to make it consumable, you have to simplify at least the front end of it. So mm -hmm. the simplification comes in a composite risk score takes a number of different perils, and we have seven different perils that we can get into some of the details about. But we base our one to 100 scores on the average annual loss or AAL. So on a one to 100 basis, we, we can stack rank what the risk is on our expected average annual loss. Why is that important? Because where I live in Southern California, uh, I have earthquake risk and I have wildfire mm -hmm. risk as natural disasters that impact me. Both of those, fortunately for me, are very low. But as I'm looking at my property in Southern California and comparing it to another property in another part of the country, I have the same guidelines. I can use the same rating system for, again, we talked about Portland, Oregon versus Portland, Maine. In Portland, Oregon, I might have earthquake and wildfire risk. While in Portland, Maine, I might have storm surge and severe winter storm impacts. Right. If I'm in Portland, Maine, I want to understand what those perils are so I can make sure at a minimum that I have the appropriate amount of insurance for those. Similarly, in Portland, Oregon, wildfire is typically an insured, uh, insured loss, but earthquake may not be. So understanding what my unique perils are in the context of an overall peril helps me make a decision about pursuing that property, as well as making informed decisions towards ensuring and, and using other mitigation efforts to make sure that I have a long-term use of that property. Okay. I think this is super interesting because this is something that I think a lot of people will see huge value in because we're essentially looking at something, I, I, the, the analogy we commonly talk about is it's like a FICO score for your natural hazard. And a lot of people, you want to know what your credit score is. You have the score. It's based on a bunch of different data points. No one knows the data points it's based on, but they know that they get this score and it means something. And I think that's really the direction that we're trying to go in with this composite risk score. Um, so I want to dive a little bit into that, but really from the perspective of mortgage-backed securities. This is something that you work really closely with, George, and can you just really talk about kind of the value of, of this to mortgage-backed securities? And then I want to get into the Security Exchange Commission, but let's hold off on that first. And can you talk just a little bit about mortgage-backed securities and the value of this, George? Sure. So mortgage-backed securities right now are graded and presented 
based on their credit risk profile. So there's a very clear understanding of what the, the again, we called it earlier, the Fair Isaac Company, the FICO score, what the credit worthiness is of that portfolio of properties. In fact, I would say that the industry has nearly perfected credit risk rating. What they mm. haven't perfected, however, is the hazard impacts against a portfolio. That's what we're trying to achieve. So in the future world of mortgage-backed securities, the intent is to incorporate not only the credit risk rating that's currently in place, but also an understanding of what the potential impacts from climate disasters could be, both near-term and based on climate change impacts. So the questions are, will this impact the pricing of a portfolio? That's yet to be determined. It's like everyone has an opinion and, and sure, some people yeah. have very strong opinions. It, it's likely that the future iteration of portfolios have your least risky from a hazard standpoint uh, mm -hmm. grouped together and your most risky from a hazard standpoint grouped together or some sort of formula where they offset one another. Again, the overall pricing concerns are obviously uh, important to the marketplace, but they've yet to be clearly articulated and defined. Okay, this is really interesting. And this whole topic of mortgage-backed securities, I think, is, is a really interesting subject and something that we've not really talked about before. So I'm glad that we're getting into this. I think it's a really interesting part of the industry that people maybe don't necessarily realize is happening. Um, it also leads into something else I want to talk about that I just briefly mentioned before, and it is the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the, the U.S. SEC. Um, they've recently, in the last couple of months, had some guidance that was released. Can you talk a little bit about what this guidance was about, how it's relevant to this topic, and what people may expect to see? I think this is a good place for us to kind of just as something to finish on today. Can you talk a little bit about this? Absolutely. Um, and we should be because this is one of the, mm -hmm. the biggest and most aggressive efforts so far within the federal government space. So the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is responsible for uh, investor information from publicly traded in, uh, companies. And the okay. intent, so in March of 2022, they put out guidance, a 510-page document, which gave wow. their impression of what they would be looking for when it comes to uh, climate change disclosures. The intent is the enhancement and standardization of climate-related disclosures for investors, right? So investors okay. won't be caught off guard, not knowing what might potentially negatively impact uh, a portfolio of properties. Their comment period lasted through the middle of June. And then by the time you're listening to this, we are probably expecting the SEC to be actually putting out its final guidance to the marketplace. What this okay. means is all publicly traded companies will be required to have specific guidelines towards their disclosures. Now, mm -hmm. in the, S the context of the SEC, a lot of it was focused on greenhouse gas emissions, scope one, scope two, and scope three categories, which we won't, we don't really need to get into here. But from a climate change standpoint, there is, there is some governance around what needs to be disclosed and, okay. and how it should be disclosed. And a great way to think about this and what to look for in the near future is how much the SEC is, is speaking to leveraging the existing infrastructure. Right now, for example, in loan origination, if a property is in a special flood hazard area as defined by FEMA, so a 100-year flood zone, specifically known as a special flood hazard area, if a property is in a special flood hazard area, it's required to 
have flood insurance if it has a, a federally backed uh, loan. So it's a very binary decision. You're either in or out of a special flood hazard area. If you're in, it requires a process to acquire flood insurance. If you're out, that requirement does not exist. Here's the issue, however, because of what we've seen starting many, many years ago, but probably most profoundly through Hurricane Harvey, there was such a high percentage mm. of impacted properties that were outside the special flood hazard area that the concept of a graduated risk, risk outside the special flood hazard area, has really caught hold and, and captured the attention of investors as well as, as lenders and insurers. So what the SEC mm. is looking for is, and, and intending to provide, is guidance that leverages currently the binary system of in, in or out of a special flood hazard area and giving more rational decision about what should be disclosed outside and then taking that layer and applying it to other risks. That's okay. our anticipation from what's going to come from the SEC yet to be released. So we don't know that that's accurate, but in all the conversations we've had with other government agencies, that's what they're hoping to see is in terms of guidance that can then be consumed and adopted mm -hmm. by by other agencies. And that that's great because that, I mean, that really is progression from something we've talked a lot about on this podcast of that we've made several references to Hurricane Harvey and and flood risk in particular and, and how historically it was in or out of a flood zone and this graduated risk of looking at risk outside of designated flood zone areas and really what that means for natural hazards across the board as climate change continues to impact the frequency severity of, of, of weather hazards. So I think a lot is yet to come in terms of what we see from the SEC. A lot is yet to come in terms of what we see with the development of science and solutions that go along with it to help people, as we like to say, know your risk to help accelerate your recovery. And I think ultimately understanding what the risk is the consequences are going to blow you away. So we just need to wait and see what's going to happen. So, George, thank you so much for joining us today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, May Claire. I hope we get to do this again as an update. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back, George. So, and thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devinens, editor and sound engineer Romia Roman, and social media duo of Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.